0: Are there some behaviors within your relationship that you've started to justify when in reality, you have a bad feeling about them? Today, we're talking about five relationship behaviors that no one should have to accept. Each one of these can be tempting to overlook in the moment, but has the potential to become toxic over time. It's important that we recognize that things that might be innocuous here and there still add up to something very problematic. If you want to get real about behaviors that just aren't good, you'll want to join us for today's Baggage Check. Welcome. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonier, and this is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice. I'm very glad to have you here. Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a show about vintage guitar pick collections. Okay, so let's get to it. So I've done a lot of work about controlling behavior. We've talked about it some on this podcast before, and it's clear that too many relationships really cross the line into emotional abuse, controlling behavior, and just absolute toxicity. But what I want to talk about today is some signs that are a little bit more subtle, the toxic behaviors that a lot of us have come to think of as being normal. Your relationship might be far from a classically controlling one, but there could still be indicators that you deserve far, far better. Of course, in these cases, it doesn't absolutely mean that you need to end your relationship. Often you can work it out by being vulnerable and having good conversations that are open and honest and collaborating together to try to change the dynamic. Often a few sessions with a couple's therapist could help identify these patterns even more deeply and establish ways to get rid of them. It's all going to boil down to motivation like it always does with couples. Do you both truly want this to change or just one of you? That's often the difference between a relationship sinking or swimming in the long term. But the first step is to acknowledge these dysfunctional patterns. So today I wanted to go over five particular behaviors that seem to be very common and they seem innocuous or just mildly annoying, but I hear about them all the time in therapy as being things that really do wreck relationships. So they're not really innocuous. They just seem that way. So think about whether you recognize in you or your partner any of these very frequent but often troubling situations. Number one, chronic unreliability. You might just think of your partner as flaky or scattered, but the damage of not being able to really know if they're going to show up for you, if they're going to do what they say they'll do. Whether it's just paying a bill or being with you during surgery, that adds to stress over time. And we've had a recent episode on trust. This really undermines trust. There's uncertainty where certainty should be. There's doubt where there should be security. And even if your partner's not dropping the ball in order to be manipulative, but they're just disorganized, or they're overwhelmed, or they suffer from attention problems, or they just don't know how to manage daily life skills, when they're unreliable to you over and over and over again, that shifts the balance, that puts the burden on you to accommodate their mistakes and to constantly have to compensate for them. And the effect on the connection can be very serious. So it's something to look at individually and as a couple. Again, are they aware of it? Do they know that it's something they struggle with? How can you compromise? How can you set goals to work on it? You know, if one person is particularly disorganized when it comes to finances, and you work out that you as the more responsible one are going to be the one that keeps track of whether or not your water and sewer bill are paid, that's fine. But is it actually communicated? Is it understood? Does it feel in balance? Instead, if the other person is supposed to be doing the water bill and they're constantly dropping the ball and you can't take on the water bill because you do everything else to keep the household running, that's where we're talking something more serious. Number two, joking that's not really funny at all. Okay, We're not just talking about my incredibly weak jokes or people whose humor doesn't necessarily warrant an HBO special. We're talking about joking that's actually kind of toxic. Different couples have different thresholds for what's humorous versus what's hurtful in terms of teasing. And unfortunately, though, even within the same couple... There might be vastly different sensibilities about what feels good versus what stings hard when it comes to joking around. Maybe you can make fun of each other's messiness, but not to the point of insinuating laziness, for instance. Maybe somebody's really, really touchy about their cooking, but you can make fun of their wardrobe all you want or vice versa. People have to know each other well enough to know how their jokes are being received and whether it's actually part of bonding or it's actually more insidious ridicule that hurts. Once again, we're always going to come down to communication and respect about this. Your partner should be able to resist the urge to tease when they know it crosses a line for you. And you both should be able to speak up about it in a way that feels safe. Often partners who repeatedly cross the line into hurt, they justify it by insisting that they're just joking, but that's invalidating. Just joking doesn't erase harm. And honestly, sometimes it makes it even more offensive because it's like, wait a second, this isn't something to joke about. If you want to have a conversation about it, let's have a conversation about it. What are you avoiding here? It's also just invalidating to tell somebody that you're just joking, that they don't have a right to be hurt by it, because the effects of the joke can matter just as much, whether there was a wink-wink emoji or not. Sometimes friends and family are the ones to notice this first. They might be kind of like, wow, she's kind of sensitive about her physical appearance, and that probably feels crappy for her, for him to be constantly commenting on that space between her teeth. That kind of stuff. Again, how does it feel? Is it actually something that builds connection and is part of humor? Or is it something that really starts to not feel good at all? Number three, needing to be right all the time. Back in my Washington Post chat days, a reader wrote in about being married to a person who always had to be right for things big and things small. He needed to win every disagreement Make his point the final point and correct everything she said that he disagreed with. He was an attorney in real life, she said, so she kind of blamed it on this. Har har, oh, he's just a lawyer all the time. But that's kind of a flimsy excuse, right? His behavior was so excessive that it bordered on controlling. It clearly went beyond lawyering. I'm a psychologist, but that's no excuse for me prying into my loved one's lives all the time off the clock. A lot of times people act this way out of insecurity or anxiety. It's a huge threat to them, the idea that they could be wrong about something, or they're constantly being counting or constantly even stevening things about who's doing what, They don't necessarily realize how they're eroding the relationship over time, or maybe they don't even realize their habit. What do you mean I always say I'm right? I don't think so. That's not true. Okay, how meta are we getting here? Because that's pretty much proving the point if the person can't admit that they often insist on being right. If there's motivation to change, though, and again, this is where the collaboration comes in. Whether or not the person really is willing to think about this, to look at your viewpoint, to truly work on it, possibly, an objective professional third party can help if there's motivation to change. This is really what couples counselors were made for, I promise you. Number four, being dismissive or intolerant of feelings. I've had people write into me all the time saying that they're not allowed to express feelings in front of their partner, right? And that it's something that maybe they never even quite noticed until they started reading my stuff. Of course, it's important to recognize what we always talk about, that there's a difference between expressing feelings and acting on them in harmful or destructive or threatening ways, right? It could be that some of these people really are expressing anger in a way that feels scary to their partner. And so their partner's not saying they're not allowed to express anger. Their partner's saying, when you raise your voice like that, it really worries me. That's different, right? This is why communication is so key. A lot of times we think we're just expressing emotion when in reality, we're being explosive and our partner's discomfort is understandable. But other times it's the partner, maybe because of their past history, their families they grew up in, the nature of their personality. It's their partner that creates an environment where it feels unwelcome to express emotions, even just understandable daily reactions. If your partner is constantly making you feel bad for expressing emotion in a reasonable way, you know, using I statements, talking about your feelings, being open and honest about your emotional state... Or they always expect you to be in a good mood. Or they always dismiss when you complain about something that happened at work. Oh, well, you're lucky to have a job. This can feel like a stranglehold, right? This can feel incredibly invalidating. And of course, the big risk over time is that it might make you bury your feelings to the point where they start eating you up from the inside. That's a problem. And number five, endless bean counting. Now, we alluded to this earlier today. This is the even-stevening. It all comes down to this idea of reciprocity, right? It's great when a couple can settle into a general reciprocal pattern that helps them feel like work is shared equally, for instance. But general is the key here. When it comes to routines, partnerships that can flex and bend where it's needed, where it's called for, they're far less likely to break under pressure. So over the course of a lengthy and committed relationship, there will be times, even lasting weeks or longer, when one person needs to pick up the other person's slack for not only the good of the partner, but also for the relationship in general. Gratitude is no doubt called for in these situations, and it helps both partners feel good. But when one partner instead expects the other partner to constantly sort of make up for it because there's bean counting here and there, you owe me because I did this, it's really hard to not feel like you've just got constant spreadsheets and that's how you're looking at life through that lens. It's hard to maintain feelings of trust because is that person going to be there for me if the scales have tipped a little too far in this direction and I'm a little too, quote unquote, needy today? How do you feel unconditional love if you feel like you're supposed to actually be marking off things on a list all the time to keep it completely equal and even in terms of who's giving and who's taking? How do you feel supported? How do you feel supported if you're constantly thinking about what you owe the other person? So again, there should be reciprocity and balance over time. But within that, when you zoom in, there's going to be fits and starts. There's going to be unevenness. And that's why we can't get into the heavy bean counting without it taking a toll on the relationship. So I hope these things gave you something to think about today. Again, none of these have to absolutely be deal breakers, but they are important things to pay attention to, because if you're trapped in this pattern, it really can get worse over time. Let me know if that resonated. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at baggagecheckpodcast.com. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to Like 17 podcasts? We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Merity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time, take good care.